Hello and welcome to Messages at BBC. In these messages, you'll hear from professors, staff, guest speakers, as well as students. These messages were spoken and recorded on campus at Boise Bible College. If you'd like to check out Boise Bible College, please see our website at boisebible.edu. So I always get excited this time of year. There's something is taking place that just, when I was young, just really was part of what I lived for. It's just, man, when it wasn't this time of year, I would more or less get depressed a little bit. So some of you might understand what I'm talking about. Some of you might not. But it's football season, right? Oh, thank you. Some of you. Yeah. Football season. I love football season. As a young person, this is what, ever since I was a third grader, I played football. And uh, so I've been looking at things lately here. I haven't had much time to watch anything as of late. But, you know, I've looked at the box scores. Seahawks, 2-0. and Yeah, come on, Northwest. Let's, yeah. Because I was a kid when the Seahawks started. That's how old I am. Um, and, yeah, I'm just, I'm a big Hawks fan. The Bengals are 0-2. and two. I am a Bengals fan because I lived in Cincinnati 10 years. The Dolphins are 0-2. They're one of my childhood favorite teams because when I was young, there were no teams in the Northwest until the Seahawks started, so they had a cool helmet. What can I say? So the Jags are 0-2. And you guys, not one, not one Jag fan out there. Oh my goodness. And I'm a Jag fan because Amber and I moved to Jacksonville the same year the Jaguars started in Jacksonville. Yeah. We were a lot better back then. So, the Raiders are one and one. There we go, Matt. All right. There's a Raider fan. Yes. The Raiders. I don't know why, I, as a little kid, I love the Raiders, you know. And uh, John Madden and Lyle Alzado and Kenny the Snake Stabler and all these guys. Ah, it was just a great time. First wild card team to ever win the Super Bowl. Stuff you do not care about, I understand. Okay, well, at least one of my teams is doing well right now. Now let's talk about college. College, uh, my favorite team of all college sports, and it's because of where I live for a long time, is the University of Florida. Gators are 3-0. and Yeah. Wow, thanks for the support. I'm such a Gator fan that they safeguard my finances. Right there, yeah. Okay, uh, let's go on. Well, I started a pre-college program at Oregon State University. Beavers, go Beavers. Thank you. They're one and two, which is better than one. the year I was there. We had a perfect season. We didn't win a game. So, Ben and I are also Red Hawks fans, Miami of Ohio University, yes, yeah, what's that? Uh, okay, oh, that's right, he's a sick Ohio State Buckeyes fan, so the team of Satan. So anyway, the Red Hawks are one and two, yeah, teams I dislike, this is where Satan's having a victory. The Oregon Ducks are two and one. Uh, oh my goodness. And the Boise Broncos are three and oh. 
Oh. Uh. <laughs> all right, all right. Well, yeah, we get excited about this whole football thing, and, and it's changed a lot in my life. But there are some lessons I learned from growing up playing football. And it's almost a personality thing. Uh, if you have a personality that basically is willing to serve others, there are certain positions you like to play or are willing to play. And there are other positions in football that kind of reflect your personality that you're more or less self-centered and selfish. Just going to be honest. So, for instance, when I was in high school, uh, I had the opportunity to play both ways because I was from Baker City, not a very large place. And, uh, yeah, go Baker. Yeah, so, you know, Baker City. And, uh, you know, and, and as I was moving up, and I got, I got pretty good, I guess, for a small town. And uh, on defense, I got to play my favorite position. I played it almost my whole career was middle linebacker. Middle linebacker is a position that you're very selfish. Uh, middle linebacker is like a headhunter. You do what you want. The only thing a coach cares about is that you make the tackle a good amount of the time, but you don't care what anyone else is doing as long as they stay out of your way. All right? Now, I'll compare that with even the defensive line is somewhat that way, and the, the D-backs are definitely that way. But the one player on the defense, only one player on the defense, that really represents um, selflessness in a way is the defensive end. Any of you ever played defensive end? All right. Huh? So you guys can maybe associate or you didn't do your job well. Defensive end is one of the most self-giving people because their whole job is containment, more or less. Containment. Um, linebacker, I could care less about containment. I'm just going for the hit. You know, and so my, my best friend played defensive end, uh, Fred, and his whole job was to make sure the play never got outside the end of the line. He was to turn everything back in the middle so people like me could make the tackle, right? So that, that just kind of shows you different mentality. When I was young, I was a, Danny can kind of give you some of this because he was my youth minister at one time. Uh, I was a little bit more self-centered, cocky, right, Danny? Uh, <laughs> um, kind of selfish, um, maybe more selfish. You know, it's one of those things. I was an immature young man, so middle linebacker fit me well. And even if you look in the NFL, some of the most immature people are, you know, D-backs and linebackers in the NFL. So... <clears throat> I, on offense, I played, again, another selfish area. I played as a running back or tight end, okay? Tight end, you got to be a little less selfish. You know, you don't always get the, the ball thrown to you. Um, but still, you're, you're getting the ball, you're getting the opportunity to score, make downs, all this kind of stuff. You know, you're not really thinking about anything but what you're doing, okay? My senior year, we'd, we'd lost a lot of seniors, um, even in our league, we were AAA at the time, whatever that means. All I know is linemen were pretty decent size. You know, most of these guys were pressing 300 pounds. Back then, I wished I could have gained some of this weight I have now, but I can gain weight for anything. I was six foot three and 185. That's what I was. Okay, and so we lost so many seniors. I had to play offensive right guard. Okay. Now, this is what I learned from that. 
Offensive linemen are the most selfless people in any sport, pretty much. I can't think of anyone that'd be more selfless. You never get glory. Nobody recognizes you. You don't hardly ever hear the national commentators talking about alignment unless they do something bad or wrong. Um, you do everything you do in that lineman position is for someone else to succeed. You're blocking so the running back can gain yardage or score. You're blocking so you're protecting the quarterback so he can throw the pass. Everything you're doing is for the benefit of someone else. It's never for you directly. And so that's one of the things I learned that year. <laughs> so I was one of those idiots, like I said, immature, that always made fun of linemen until I had to be one. It was the year I hurt the most. Number one, most of those people were a lot bigger than I was. I pinched a nerve in my neck, couldn't turn my head for a long time. You get hit every play, you get abused every play, and not for anything you're gonna get recognition for. The most recognition you're hoping for is the coach doesn't yell at you because you missed a block. It was the most difficult year I ever played and absolutely got no credit. I did get voted in as all-county right guard. Wow, in Baker County, that's like big, right? Probably gonna to go to the NFL with that one. So what I'm saying is that in, in football teams, you kind of have these personalities that reflect our life in a sense, how we live. And I'd equate a lot of those positions to how the world around us is. It's people playing for their own prestige, their own recognition, their own goals. But I, I really like the lineman as a great example of who we are as God called out ones that we're living for the benefit of others. So in our passage today, I'm only going to take a look at one verse today, Romans 12, 10. You can turn with me. You got that on your phone. Um, this passage, uh, if you take a look at it, it's an interesting passage. Um, not everyone's quite sure what to do with it. We'll see a little bit of that. Paul embeds this in a list of kind of like many commandments for Christians, for the body, for the called out ones. And we're just going to take a look at these two little mini commandments, and we're going to actually do it in reverse order, but let's read the whole verse to begin with. Be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love, and honor giving preference to one another. Okay? So we're going to take a look at this a little backwards. I just want you to hear what some of the other translations have done with this, other versions, uh, with the second half. Honor giving preference to one another, Honor one another, that was the New King James Version, which we just had. Uh, the NIV, honor one another above yourselves. The ASV, honor preferring one another. So, kind of interesting. Honor preferring one another. The message, kind of like, practice playing second fiddle. Okay? Any orchestra people in here? All right, Faith. Oh, band. Anyone playing an orchestra, orchestra? Band, same thing, basically. My daughter is a violist, and so in those sections, what do you have? What is everybody working to try to get? First chair, good faith. First chair, no. Second fiddle, you give up first chair. 
All right? You don't take that. Then the ESV, outdo one another in showing honor. Honor. That one just makes me ponder. Outdo one another in showing honor. It's kind of like one of those things, um, telling someone, oh, I'm, I'm very humble. I'm the humblest person you know. Right? So I don't think that's a point that's being made. I think it was Will Rogers that said, humility found is humility lost. You know, uh, to brag about your humility is not being humble. And I don't think that's a context here. Uh, like I said, the translators struggle with it a little bit. But it is that concept of putting ourselves aside for the sake of another, to honor them, to let their gifts, their, what God's created in them, to shine forth, to honor that, um, to allow that to take place. And that's what I mean. It's kind of like those offensive linemen. They're doing their job, really, for someone else to get glory, to be glorified. They're not going to get the credit for the 80-yard touchdown pass, but they're the ones that made it possible. They're not going to get credit for the one-yard shove on the goal line where someone like the Fridge or whatever famous you know, goal line running back pushes it in. But they were the ones that made it possible. And so this in the same way is saying to put our glory aside for the sake and honor of others that they can shine. They can uh, present what God has created in them in ministry, in service. So in other words, Paul is calling us to lead out by honoring others. This is not a concept we feel good about. We want recognition. We want to be the focus. We want to be the shiny star. We don't want to take the back seat. It's hard for us to put ourselves second. Now, a good friend of mine, Mike Mack, um, he used to work with me in Cincinnati, and now he's like the editor of the Standard and stuff. But he's written a little uh, small groups book that says you're actually leading from the third chair. And his point there is you always put God first. And in that, you learn to lead from that third chair that you're under the submission of someone else or for the benefit of someone else. So you really have to think about that. How are you going to lead from that third chair so that these things these people, these needs, others can be served by your willingness to be a servant. That is not a common concept in our culture. And uh, as we take a look at this, you know, I guess many of us might ask, well, how do we go about doing this? How do we lead out by honoring others? Well, Paul, in Philippians 2, 3 through 4, gives us some advice. I'm just going to uh, give you some of the concepts he brings up there. Uh, as you take a look at this passage, and I'm just going to give you kind of a paraphrase of these concepts. Give up our selfish ambition. Our selfish ambition. Any of you struggle with that? I know for sure that I have never not struggled with it. Okay? 
I know when I was your age, um, some of the, uh, you know, Chuck was here. He was, he was Amber's um, counselor, and we spent time there. People know us, uh, and I've, I'm not a loud, boisterous person, but I had my own selfish ambitions. So I remember even one late night that we were over at the Fabers, and I'm sure that Chuck was being quite gracious, but I was pontificating upon all the plans I had for the future. One of those plans was, you know, not only to move to Cincinnati to get my graduate degrees, but it was also to be one of the youngest PhDs, you know, to graduate from Miami University. And I was on track. I was on track to graduate with my PhD at 28. Well, I still don't have one, so I guess that goal changed, right? <laughs> so anyway, um, but it was all... It was actually a life-changing moment for me at that time because I was, even though I was doing ministry, even though I was going to graduate school and a seminary, I was still leading my life uh, according to my own selfish ambitions. And because of that, I had a hard time honoring other people. Any of you have that problem? I remember... Uh, so I had a staff at Cincinnati. Um, I remember one time with my administrative assistant. She was just amazing. She goes, Russell, why are you such an idiot sometimes? That's a fun thing to be told, right? And I go, what are you talking about, Lisa? She goes, well, you have me do things this way. And when I ask why I'm doing this, these things that way, you just tell me, well, because I told you to do that. How do you guys feel about that, right? And she says, we really don't need to do it this way because, um, I know this is revealing a lot of things about how things have changed. Computers, we were just being computerized. She says, the computers will keep all those records. And I was like, oh? She said, I can keep a digital record of everything. And I was like, well, I just don't trust it. And that was the end of the conversation. Would you enjoy that? Would you? Yet, how many of us are guilty of that? Somehow, some shape, some fashion. Well, let's just say the Holy Spirit got a hold of me. The Word of God changed my heart. I'm much better now. I don't tend to do that, I hope. You can always call me out on it if I do. But get rid of our selfish ambitions. Give up our self-importance right along the same line. You know, everything I was doing, and I had dreams of, and I even achieved some of it. And it was never, here's the thing, it was never self, it was never fulfilling. I even have a picture of my wife. <laughs> this was kind of funny, because I had this thing of traveling the nation speaking. I was doing that. And one fall, I was home, was it, a couple days at Thanksgiving. There's this picture of Amber, we just, we had three young children at the time on the couch, and <laughs> she has raccoon eyes. Do you know what that means? Yeah, her husband's not home. <laughs> so she's having to be, basically be a single parent. But I was achieving my self-importance, you know? What can I say? That was also at the same time that my wife chastised me. So that's the thing. If God has done what he's done with me, I know he can do it with you right? Um, it was 3 a.m. in the morning, and Amber's like, 
Uh, I finally go home, it's 3 a.m. in the morning. She's like, where have you been? And I was like, in it, it, I've been playing pickup ball until 3 a.m. in the morning at the gym with great guys, Mark Zeese and I, you know, there's a bunch of really cool guys. Um, we were just playing pickup ball. It was the day before cell phones, though, right? So all my wife can think of is I've died because I'm not home. And she knows my class got over with, you know, like four or five, six hours ago. So when we have this personality, it's only personal, you know, your own person-centered thinking, selfish thinking, self-importance. Consider the importance of others, Paul says, on the other hand, work toward the good of others. What motivates you in your actions, your decisions, your choices, even your conversation? He goes on with much more challenging things we don't have time for, but bless those that persecute you. Say what? Rejoice with those who rejoice. Okay. Uh, Weep with those who weep. Do not be wise in your own opinion. Repay no evil for evil. Find peaceable Find, live peaceably with all people. Overcome evil with good. You know, <clears throat> Paul was giving a concept that was countercultural. Uh, this book that we're reading from, the book of Romans, do you guys know who the Romans were? One of the most competitive self-absorbed cultures in the history of humanity. As a matter of fact, in their educational system, because that's one of the areas that you know, I share and study with, in their educational system, it wouldn't fly well in America today, so I guess we're not as um, self-centered and seeking self-glory as they were. In their educational, they'd have these great debates, rhetoric competitions. And in that competition, if you were on the losing team, okay, they actually did not give you a participation award. All right? They actually showed you that you were disgraceful and that you had to walk out hanging your head low and all this kind of stuff. And for the victor, they gave great um, accolade. They had... Uh, wreaths to put around their head or crowns and they had uh, all sorts of fanfare, everything, you know, to show that they were the victors so that you would know that you were a loser, okay? Um, yeah, we, we don't allow that one in America, but, you know, it's still, we're in a self-absorbed culture. So the Romans, at least they were this, you know, uh, very, um, what do you call it, warrior, caste society kind of, you know, uh, conquering people. Um, we as Americans, we're not necessarily that anymore. We're just self-absorbed. So we think we can tell people whatever we want, uh, make our request of anyone that we want. Um, 
what I, want, I want to show you is that this concept is countercultural, not just today, but it was then, and it's been in the time of humanity, because one of the biggest things we struggle with as humans is putting ourselves before anyone else, before God, before other people, before even our family oftentimes. And what we have to do is we have to be different. We have to lead out by honoring others. And so Paul, if you look at all this, he was the emotional intelligence guru before that became a thing. But today, corporations are seeking what Paul shared thousands of years ago. Because in the end, the most productive thing for us as people is to honor others in our lives, even though we struggle with it. But in doing that, it cures so many things. I just want to challenge you with that, that we need to lead out. And unlike the football player that's a guard or uh, anyone else that's trying to put others first, you can't do it successfully unless you take the first part of that verse with it. The first part of that verse in my um, New King James says, be kindly affectionate to one another with brotherly love. This is the key that helps make that all happen. You have to have this love that basically gives us a foundation to put others first. If you don't, it just won't happen. The word here used for love is a word that Paul only uses here. As a matter of fact, only here in the New Testament. Um, and it's that kindred love. It's the love of family. It's that commitment of, in love that can only be found in family. And if you are the family of God, this word directly speaks to you, that you have a commitment of love towards one another that is not a feeling, an emotion. It is a commitment of honoring one another. That's how it comes out. We honor one another. We seek one another's best interest. This love eagerly seeks out and rejoices in the good qualities of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. It's not self-absorbed. Now, this is even natural in our natural families. For instance, I don't come from a close family. Uh, my parents became Christians late in life. My siblings and I, we have this kind of love, but we're not close. And let me explain that. Um, we always have one another's best interest at heart, even as adults. Um, I remember when my mother died, Amber and I couldn't afford to fly out to the funeral with all of our kids and stuff. My brothers didn't even hesitate. They just paid for the tickets and flew us out. That's in a family that's not even very close, you know, not spiritually bound to one another. Think how much more God desires for us as his spiritual children, his family, to be committed in love, seeking the good of our brothers and sisters in Christ than even my natural family. Much more. And there isn't anything I wouldn't do for my siblings. And I know they would do it for me. And we're not even all Christians. So it gives us no excuse as God's children in this family not to lead out in the best interest of our brothers and sisters in Christ. It's the design of our creator. He's created us with that design. And even though it's shattered in our natural relationships, when we are redeemed in Christ, that relationship is also redeemed. 
that that relationship gives us a foundation to put ourselves aside to elevate others, to honor others, to help them significantly be seen as God sees them because we're not in the way. Okay? So, we're adopted in his family to do that, and that is the secret that we need to live out in, to show the world the difference, but most importantly, to be the body of Christ that we're called to be. We're not the same as other human organizations, human, um, even human families. We are greater in this, that we have been called out to this brotherly, this kindred love that can only be shared wholly in the church. So, I guess we need to ask, are we up to the task? The members of the body of Christ should love each other and honor each other in such a way that demonstrates God's nature to a world that desperately needs a hope that can, that can redeem their broken relationships. So, when we come right down to it, uh, what are some practical ways for us to do this? I think you would all agree. I think there's nothing I said today that's new to you. I want to inspire you and convict you that this is right. We need to give up our self-centeredness and selfish life. I know in our society we love our iPhones and our iPads, but we can't have an i-faith. It has to be a faith focused on others. So, Here's some practical things to think about as we conclude. A mentor of mine once, uh, Bill Brevard, said, Russell, one thing you really want to watch and, we're, and you want to pass on to your leaders and build into the, the DNA of any church you serve is our language of the first person. So in your language, watch how many times you say I or me and all this. He says, when you do that, it shows you your orientation towards self. So watch how you use your pronouns. And it works, guys. Listen to yourself. How much are you talking about I, me, my stuff, my life, uh, what I have accomplished? It, it reflects your orientation, okay? And it was one of the most helpful things for me. Then, when you, when you think about it, Think about your whole language. Is your language focused toward the best interest of others, or is it focused on your interests? In other words, listen first. Be a good listener. Actually hear what people are saying. See, that places importance on who they are. Um, so get rid of that whole pattern of me and I and selfish language. Listen first, intentionally, with your actions, put others first. Be the last to go in line. Hold the door for someone. Offer to help, or you see that someone obviously needs help. That's amazing. As my wife was talking about some of the things that we culturally uh, experience coming back to the Northwest, is in the South, it's amazing. You can even see someone that looks like a gangbanger but if my wife was to walk up carrying a large load of things, they would say, oh, let me get that for you. It's just a part of the culture. We've lost that in our culture as humanity in a certain way. But for you as a Christian, think about that. 
at your actions. Serve. Serve in the simple things. It'll create a heart that wants to serve others in the big thing. To set oneself aside for the sake of others. Uh, when it comes emotionally, we are, we are such a society now that it, we, we are not even sympathetic. We, so I'm not even going to go to empathy. We're not even close to that as a society. Sympathy is feeling sorry for someone. Empathy is living in their shoes to understand what they're going through, okay? Before you judge, just try to relate. Try to at least get to sympathy, and if not, work towards empathy so that we see where people are at, what they're going through, so they can we understand. It's a heart, head, an action thing. Some people say heart, head, and hands, but my actions also have feet and other things on them, okay? The, the thing is, is you got to think, you got to feel, you got to be different. You just can't say these things. So my challenge is for you, dear BBC family, uh, will we answer the challenge that Paul is calling us out today to be, to love in an extraordinary way as his family so that we can honor each other in a way that distinguishes us here at BBC is God's college. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, you and our awesome God, you love us so much. You've demonstrated your sacrifice for us. And as Jesus said, the Son of Man, the Son of God, doesn't come to be served, but to serve is the ultimate sacrifice and example for us to put others first in our life because we have a family commitment, a family love that always seeks the best interest of those around us. And even though we'll fall short, God, it's that commitment that always brings us back to honoring one another in such a significant way that we step aside so that people can see the beauty of every person that we live among and with. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening today. Boise Bible College exists to raise up leaders for the church, where we value scholarship, humility, innovation, and community. For more information about Boise Bible College, please see boisebible.edu.